Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. People are wondering, who are the circuit riders? Who are the circuit riders? And then you got some testimonies. Yes. All right. So the circuit riders, we're actually a California-based missions organization that God is just Oh my gosh, what he's done with us is absolutely amazing. We're actually on a 400 school tour right now. Our team's got about 20 of those schools, but the tour we're on is called Carry the Love. And so the Carry the Love tour for us as circuit riders is when we get a tour of college campuses, that was so adorable. Um, we get a tour of college campuses, preaching the gospel to college students and seeing people come to know Jesus in the next generation. That's a, that's a huge part of our mission. The circuit riders ministry in group we're targeting is the youth of America. We believe that the youth of America are the next generation. That's, it's pretty simple math, but if we can pour the spirit on them and they can meet Jesus, what are the future business leaders of America going to look like? They're going to look like Holy Spirit, Jesus following people. What are, what are future business owners? What are future nurses? What are, what's the next generation going to look like if it's just been captured by Jesus and has fallen in love with Jesus? And so that's, that's kind of the group that we, we focus on. We've, we've gotten a, preach at Wheaton this week. A couple nights ago, we got to preach at Moody, and we've been all throughout Indiana as a team, and then we're coming back, like you said, somebody said it, yeah. we're coming back, and we're actually going to partner with Columbia downtown, which is a huge opportunity. I personally have a heart as a circuit rider for the city of Chicago. We've gotten in places in New York, in LA, and San Francisco, but Chicago is just the one big city that circuit riders haven't been able to find any traction in, in circuit rider needs the God or Chicago needs the gospel. And so that's been something really heavy on my heart. And so to get to come here and just come preach and praise with you guys, that's actually been such a blessing to us. And then we also get to just worship Jesus alongside you. So thank you so much. Um, we do have a couple testimonies. Identity has been something that is just been pouring out like crazy on this tour. So I'd love to welcome up Ren and Ashley to share a couple testimonies um, from this tour. So here we go, Ren. Hey guys, I'm Ren. Nice to meet you. Yeah, so um, a few weeks ago we were at Trine University and on our day twos we split up into guys and girls and we get really um, specific on how you can be a catalyst for your campus. If you want to start a small group, if you want to start a men's group, whatever it is. And when we got done, we had a huge prayer session. We're all about, in our men's group, breaking out of passivity, stepping into action, stepping into boldness. So we do this huge chant, we yell, and we get really loud with it. It's super fun. Um, yeah, but this guy, Mikey, afterwards walked up to me, had a couple more questions, and he had a, cu- a couple concerns. So I was just talking to him. And he seemed really anxious about his future, and he was specifically anxious about being a father. Um, His father abandoned him when he was about six years old. He was super insecure about his relationship with God, and he didn't believe that God loved him as much as everyone said he did. Um, So talking with Mikey, Mikey was like, yeah, I just don't know if I could be a good father. I don't know if I can love the way Jesus loves me. Um, and I was able to walk him through a simple process and walk him through just like this roller coaster of emotions that he was having and letting him know that you have a God that is with you every day, every night, and your ups and your downs. He loves you regardless of if you've made a mistake today, tomorrow, the day after. 
regardless. And that he's leading your steps. And that's the great thing that we have with Jesus is we have a peace knowing that he's in control. And the more we lean on him, the more he directs us. And if God's directing us, we're never going to be led astray. So it was so cool. He got to lead that conversation with me with an over, overwhelming peace knowing, okay, I can be a father. And it was just so remarkable, the peace that God gives us, guys. It's amazing. So, yeah. Hello, I'm Ashley. Um, Yeah, so a couple weeks ago, we were at, I believe it was Anderson. um, And we were having our kind of main night. We do worship. We do our simple gospel message. Um... And part of the gospel that seems to be forgotten sometimes is that, you know, he died for our sins, but he also died for our freedom and for our healing, right? Um, And so I got to pray over this girl who was struggling with suicidal thoughts. Um, You know, and and Anderson is is a Christian university. We look around in our churches and in our um, Christian universities and in the Christian place, and we think like, oh, yeah, you're here, so you're good. But no, not always. Um... Yeah, so I just got to pray with her through that. I got to break off the spirit of death in her life. I got to break off fear and anxiety and depression. Um, And we walked back in the room, and one of my teammates comes up, and she's like, what'd you do to her? Like, she looks totally different. And she came to the Catalyst night the next night, um, and it's just completely different demeanor, is so excited and happy, and is just going off like, yeah, I had this huge breakthrough last night. So she just got to like be restored back to what walking in faith and in our Christian faith is of the hope of Jesus. And, you know, healing is the children's bread, not anxiety and depression. And he came for um, to bring us gladness instead of mourning. So, yeah. All right, so they're going to do some worship and ministry at the end, so hang on. I always love when there's testimony that I think it raises our faith in the room, and so I'd love to even pray for those specific things that you guys saw breakthrough in in our ministry time, so hang on for that. All right. How are we doing, everybody? I'm sorry, I, I'm slightly hard of hearing. How are we doing? Okay, good, good. Awesome. All right, well, good to be with you guys this morning. Um, just getting my notes set up here. All right, well, we, yeah, Molly and I have gotten a chance to host uh, host these guys over the last several days, and I know a couple other families have, and man, it's, it is, isn't it fun to just get around some just ridiculously on fire young people. <laughs> you guys are amazing. I'm so proud of you and it just makes me excited for what's coming. So, um, all right. Well, so for those of us that have been here, uh, for the last couple of weeks, you know that we are, uh, in our second week of a new sermon series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And this is such a humongously important time for us because, um, because emotionally healthy spirituality is so often ignored in the church. We miss this. And so uh, here at Thrive, we have these these flames because we are going after God and we are called to be a people that are on fire for God. We don't have a better way of putting it. We just want to be a people that have given 
given the Lord everything that we are, all of us. We want to be just a, a ball of flame pouring out heat and pouring out the kingdom everywhere that we go. But one thing that we have discovered is, is that if we don't, by the way, happy birthday, Matt Donahue. Yay! If we don't, what? Who else? Oh, Laura too? Today? Oh, okay. Happy birthday. All right. We're not going to go too far from this. Hey, my birthday was two months ago. No. All right. So, um, so anyway, uh, for us getting our hearts healed, what happens beneath the surface is so crucial, isn't it? Like Solomon said, we talked about this last week, guard your heart. With everything that you have, because all of your life, all of the issues of life will flow from this heart of yours. And so we're going to work on our hearts over the next couple of weeks. Now, today's sermon title is called Know Yourself That You May Know God. Know yourself that you may know God. And I gotta be honest with you guys, when I, when I heard that this was like week two in Peter Scazzaro's book and that I'd be preaching on this, know yourself that you may know God, I gotta be honest, I was a little bit like incredulous about it. If I, if I had to be truthful with you guys, I, I'm 100% in for knowing God, but know yourself, doesn't it seem a little like self-helpy or a little mamby-pamby or maybe new agey or something? And so I was kind of like, mm, I don't know, we'll see. But then as I began to think about just the incredibly stiff competition that we face in our quest for authenticity to, tro- to truly know ourselves uh, and be ourselves before the world and before God, I began to realize that this is actually a really, really important thing. Now, for most of us in the room here and for most of you guys at home, I know that most of us believe that we were created by who? God, right? God is creator to us. And so Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And so God is creator, but interestingly to me, a key part of our God likeness is that we were also given the capacity to create. And so we are a creative people. We create art and we create poetry. We create books and buildings. We create food and medicine. We create songs and businesses, teachings and technology. We are a creative people. We're creative by nature. But one of the areas where we are most creative, now listen to this, one of the areas where we are most creative actually happens to infringe both on us and on God's unique creative purposes. Now here's here's what I mean by that. Listen to this. Whether they intend to or not, they, them, out there, whether we intend to or not, people are constantly working to create one another in their own image, or at least to create, to, to, to mold and shape people into the type of people that we want them to be. And people all around us are trying to shape us into their own image and into the people that they want us to be. We have a million voices that are trying to redefine us according to, to their preference, according to their agenda. You guys realize this? This happens, to be honest with you guys, this happens as a pastor uh, in ministry. This happens all the time in church. It happened a ton, especially when we first planted, when our church was really, really tiny. People were constantly coming up to us and saying, hey, pastor, 
I think that you should do worship like this. Hey, pastor, I think that you should preach like this. Hey, pastor, I think that this should be our focus as a church. People were constantly trying to shape us and create this church into the image of the church that they wanted, right? It happens in our marriages, doesn't it? It happens with our kids. We say, why can't you be more like this? Why can't you do this? Why can't you act like this for me? It happens at work with our coworkers and our bosses as they put their expectations on us and they affirm certain decisions that we make or certain parts of our personality and they sort of shun or discourage or punish other parts of who we are. It happens at school. If you guys are a student, you probably have experienced that you're either encouraged or you're scolded for what you wear, for what you watch on social media, for the music that you listen to, for the games that you play. It even happens with their friends, right? Who either verbally or non-verbally tell us how to dress, what restaurants to go to, what TV shows to watch, even what our politics should be. Everywhere we go, we are being shaped and molded by people around us. And I think it's interesting that our culture is actually uh, coming clean on this. Uh, we finally have a name for people like the Kardashians and our YouTube famous people. You know what those people are called? Influencers, right? And what are they influencing? Us, right? We are the product there. So we're constantly being enlisted to fight other people's fights along with them, whether it's at work when somebody's bad-mouthing the boss and they tell us about it because they want us to join their side, or it's a neighbor who doesn't like uh, somebody down the block and they tell us about it so that we can get angry along with them, right? And that's all of that is, is not even to mention the voice of the enemy that is constantly trying to reshape and to mar the image of Christ that exists in us. And so that's what these creators do. They try to challenge our true identity. So it turns out it's not as easy as it might seem to know God and to know ourselves because of the cacophony of messages that are constantly coming at us. Do you guys, am I, am I making myself clear here? You understand? Okay, good. So for any of us though, here's what I want to say. For any of us that would seek to peel off layer after grimy layer of this false identity that is being put on us, I want to tell you that joy and freedom await you. For any one of us that would throw this off, throw off the false identity and the expectations of people who are not God, there is joy and freedom in front of you. Now, I love what John Calvin wrote. He said this, nearly all wisdom that we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Two parts, the knowledge of God and ourselves. And so King David, we're going to talk about David for a minute. He was sort of our best non-Jesus example of a person who is completely in love with God, who is all in with God, and a person who really, really knew himself. And one of the things that he learned to do early in his life was he learned how to resist the expectations of other people and the false identity that they would try to put on him. And so you guys, what's David's most famous story? 
David and Goliath. I'm so glad you didn't say Bathsheba. That would be a bummer for David, right? So David and Goliath, right? That's sort of his most famous story. And the, the whole thing is, as you know, is that uh, Israel was at war with the Philistines. And uh, the way that they were going to do it is that each nation would bring out a champion. And the two champions would fight. And whoever prevailed, that, that nation would win, right? And so, uh, so the Philistines brought out this humongous giant of a man, Goliath, who was this grizzled warrior. And he came out to taunt the, uh, the, the armies of Israel. And Israel had no one to fight against this guy. Everyone, everyone was terrified except for one, David. Little David the shepherd, right? And so the, as the story goes, David went in. When they found out that there was one who was willing to take on Goliath, they ushered David into King Saul, the king of Israel. And David says, I want to fight this guy. He's defying God and he's defying the armies of God. And so the first thing that Saul does is he does what? He says, okay, you got to have armor. If you're going to fight against this warrior, you got to have armor. And so Saul puts his armor on David. And David is standing there in this clunky, huge armor that's probably too big for him. And he looks at the king and he says, I can't wear this stuff. It doesn't fit me. Your armor doesn't fit me. And so he, David, defeated the giant as a shepherd. He defeated the giant as a shepherd with five smooth stones and a sling. And he probably used the same tool against Goliath as he did when he was warding off wolves and coyotes and things like that. And here's here's the reality about David. He would spend the rest of his days being a person who over and over again knew himself so that he could know God. And for the rest of his days, he would refuse again and again to put on Saul's armor. And that's the call for us. And so David actually wrote this incredibly personal psalm, Psalm 139. And it is, it is such a powerful message to us and an example to us of, um, of knowing God and being known by God and David knowing himself. And we're going to read this together. Um, and I just want to let this, like, I just want to invite you to let this sink into your hearts. And I would actually encourage you to make a note so that you can meditate on this during the course of the week. But here's what David wrote in Psalm 139. He said, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts uh, from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay and you lay your hand upon me. And by the way, this is like a hand of, of encouragement, a hand of strength, a hand of comfort, right? Um, such knowledge, he says, is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go to flee from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will, be, will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now listen to this. Here's David knowing himself as he is being known by God. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I hope that whenever anybody says, who are you? How are you? We could just say, I am wonderful. I am wonderful. You're looking at just wonder right here in this guy. Really? 
You are wonderful, every one of you, all of God's creation. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, God, are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So here's what has happened with David. He experienced this incredible exchange, this daily movement between God and himself where he knew himself and in knowing himself he would know God more fully and knowing God actually enabled him to know himself. And here's what I mean by that. If David didn't know God the way that he did, he couldn't have been his true self before God in the way that he was. Right? Uh, and David's heart burned for God because he had, uh, he knew that God loved him so much. And in the same way, conversely, if he didn't know, if David didn't know himself the way that he did, he would have missed experiencing the fullness of God in his life, right? And so David, he knew himself. He knew his passion for the Lord. He knew his God ordained calling. Right? Um, He knew his weaknesses. He knew his feelings of hopelessness and despair. He knew that he was made to be a worshiper of the Most High God. Right? And David could never have known the goodness of God had he not experienced that pure, intimate connection with God. Had he been living, now listen, had he been living the life that everyone else wanted him to live. Right? If he was living the life that his brothers wanted him to live, if he was living the life that King Saul wanted, Wanted him to live, if he was living the life that his wives wanted him to live or Israel wanted to live, he would not have known God the way that he did. And as we discovered last week, if we live the life of a hypocrite, which the literal translation for that is if we live the life of an actor, if we are living someone else's life, we will miss God. We will not experience him, right? And so David saw himself. And he saw God clearly, and it gave him a passionate love for God. He was zealous for him, all in. And so I was wondering, like, where where did this connection, where did this knowing and being known by God come from, right? Well, I believe, you guys, that David experienced this intimate closeness, closeness with God as he sat there during the quiet watches of the night as he was a shepherd, uh, shepherding his father's sheep. I, I believe that he experienced God in those quiet places during the course of the night. I believe that David experienced the strength of God in those moments of terror where he fought off the bear and the lion with nothing but him and the Lord on his side. I believe that David knew the faithfulness of God in his moments of despair as God protected him from the jealous rage of Saul. He knew the glory of God as he worshipped and danced with abandon before the assemblies. He, He experienced God in a way that no one else in the room got to experience, right? For David, it is a great gift to know himself that he may know God. There's an incredible exchange there. And what I want to say to us is that there is joy and there is peace for any one of us that would know what God has put in here. For any one of us that we'd be able to say, 
I know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made because when we offer up all of who we are, the true authentic self that we are, we get to experience God in the fullest way. I hope that makes sense to you guys. But there's also a freedom for any of us that would reject the pressure of being shaped by people around us. By uh, uh, There's a joy and a peace and a freedom that will come for any of us that will reject the expectations of other people. And Jesus, of course, he's the perfect example in all of things. And he's an incredible example of this. And so we're going to read um, uh, about the beginning of Jesus's ministry in, the, in the, the gospel of Mark. And I want you to pay attention to how the Lord instructed Jesus and how it actually changed the way that he um, the way that he lived and how he made decisions because what we're going to see in Jesus is him acting in a, in a, a way that comes out of self-awareness in a way that we don't actually see in our lives very, very often. It's something that we see uh, very rarely in our day. So Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 32. Listen to this. So just to, to give us a little bit of uh, background, Jesus is just launching his, his ministry on earth, and they had gone to a town called Capernaum to sort of begin his ministry, and so they'd been ministering in this town called Capernaum. And it says this, that evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. And the whole town was gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Verse 35. And then very early in the morning, the next morning, by the way, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And then Simon, that's Peter, and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they said, get out. Hey, everybody is looking for you, Jesus. Everybody wants you. And then Jesus replied, let's go someplace else. Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also, because this is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And so here, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he actually begins on a super strong note. He begins his ministry by kind of hitting it out of the park, right? And so uh, a few verses before the verses that we just read, uh, what, we, what we hear is that Jesus preached a sermon that riveted everyone. People, they were just like amazed at his teaching. So he preaches the best sermon ever, and then he goes on to, to pray for and heal all of the sick people were there, and then he gets, sets people free from their demonic oppression, it was a good day of ministry, right? Like he was kicking butt. And so they finish that day, they go to bed, but super, super early in the morning, Jesus wakes up as was his custom and he slips away to go and to be with his heavenly father. And it was in that place that Jesus uh, allowed the father to define him, right? And so out of that quiet place, a couple of different things happened, right? Uh, so he goes to bed, wakes up, spends time with the Lord, and then Peter comes and he says, you got to get up. We got to go back. Everybody wants you. Everybody wants you back. And I want to ask you guys, if it were you, how easy would it have been to go back to Capernaum for a second day, right? Revival was breaking out there. The people wanted more of what he was giving, right? This was a win-win. This was a win-win-win, actually. It was great for the kingdom of God. It was great for these new recruits, the disciples, because they got to see that this guy was actually legit. This thing was real. And to, to be honest, it's not bad for the ego to be in a place where everybody loves you, right? That's like a good thing. But 
Jesus had just been with his father in prayer. And because he was with the father, he came out of it with a surprising response to this amazing opportunity. The disciples say, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus said, let's go someplace else. Let's go someplace else, right? And you see what was happening is this. Jesus was free. He was free. He wasn't hooked. He was free to do what only he was called to do, even if it meant disappointing the crowds, even if it meant confusing the disciples, even if it meant not getting his heart filled with encouragement and slaps on the back and adoration from the people. And why is it that Jesus was so free from all of those things that seem to hook us so often? Do you ever... Do you ever strive to get a word of encouragement or to know that you're important or to know that you're doing a good job like I do? Jesus didn't have that. And the reason is his heart was already full. His heart was already full. No human approval was needed. He was pleased to only please his father, right? And I believe that when Jesus went off to pray, I think that there was a model for what he would do every time he went before the Father in all of his prayer life, during all of his time on earth. I believe that in that quiet place with the Father Church, Jesus regularly established the answer to three really important questions, and it became a framework for his connection with the Lord, okay? And here are the three questions that Jesus had to get settled with the Lord over and over again. The first one is this. When he got before the Father... In the midst of all the voices of the crowd, he got before God, and the question that he asked is, Who are you, God? Who are you, God? And in that place, it was established. He knew. He, he got before God, and he declared, You are God. You are my Father. You are my Creator. You are my Provider. You are my Protector. He would find out, What is God like? You are patient and kind. You are powerful. You are jealous. You speak and act according to your true nature and your good purposes. When Jesus got before the Father, time and time again, he got through to establish in his heart once again, Who are you? You, God, you are my God. You are my father. You are my Lord. You are the one that will never leave or forsake me. That's God. The second thing that Jesus would establish in each of his times with the Lord, I believe, is he would get the question answered, who am I? Who am I? And in that place, God would speak over him. You are my beloved son. I am pleased with you. You are the one that I love. You are the one that I will never forsake. You are the one, you are the apple of my eye. And you see, when Jesus slipped away to be with the father, he would get his heart filled. He would get his his identity secured in the presence of God. And because he did that, he was free from the yoke of other people putting their purposes and their identity and their wants onto him. Do you guys see that? The third thing that Jesus established in his times of connection with the Lord is simply this. He went to the Father to find out, Father, what is my mission? What is my mission? What is my call today? What do you have for me today? And here's what's amazing about that, is that once you know what the call is for you, once you've got it from the Lord, then you know what you're free from? The call that everybody else wants to put on you. You become incredibly free once you know what God has made you for, what your assignment is for the day. 
And so every time Jesus met with the Lord in the midst of the crowds, in the midst of the people that loved him, in the midst of the Pharisees, in the midst of the confusion of of the disciples and all of that stuff, he would get before the Lord and he would discover the answer to these three questions. Who are you, Lord? Who am I? And what is my mission? And these became a foundation to Jesus that enabled him to thrive in the midst of a very crazy life, right? And these would enable Jesus to be free to love. These would enable Jesus to be free to lead. They would enable Jesus to be free to say yes and to be free to say no. And to us, you guys, listen to this. Jesus would say to us, to you and I, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your soul. That's for us, you guys. This is for us. Who are you, God? Who are you, God? Who am I in you? And what is my call? What is my mission? When we get this squared away in our hearts, we will get our whole lives squared away. That's how this work works. And so the invitation uh, is this. We're going to have the worship team come back up, wherever you guys are. The midst. I just want to um, encourage you towards a place of true authenticity before Jesus. I want to encourage you towards a place of knowing yourself, allowing God to reveal what's in your heart really so that you can fully present yourself to the Lord and so that you can know him in a way that you maybe have never known before because you've been living um, someone else's life. So here we are before you, Father, the shepherd. We just come in all the realness of who we are. Like David, just the shepherd. Okay with that. Okay with where you've brought us from and where we are today before you. So confident that the shepherd can take down the giant when he comes with the name of the living God. So we embrace just that place of humility before you and I hear the Holy Spirit working in us these words wonderfully and fearfully made what God meant over those words wonderfully and fearfully made so right now God expand our understanding of those words wonderfully and fearfully what you had in mind and we say like David we want to know that full well full well so just let the Holy Spirit just impress imprint on you right now wonderfully and fearfully wonderfully and fearfully so we hold up before you Father definitions words descriptions self image hold it up before you in exchange for wonderfully and fearfully intent of the father wonderfully and fearfully